and we're live. Welcome to another Candlelit Tales post-show chat with, well, I'm Aaron and my sister Surika. So we'll be talking about the lattice skins today, the story that Surika put up during the week and Oshin, of course, produced and edited and put a soundtrack to. Uh, I was listening to it during the week and I have a couple of questions. But before we get to that, I just want to mention a couple of things. And that is that the Thawne March started this week. Fair play to them for putting stuff online. They would have been doing a three-week Thawne March. Uh, the whole trail um, is yearly done by a whole group of people that go from town to town along where the Thawne, the great the cattle raid of Cooley, would have actually gone. And that route is uh, fairly well known now. And there's a whole Thawne March you can do and take part in. And the Tom March guys have just been posting stuff online and doing a little bit more online because, of course, we're in lockdown. So fair play to all of them for doing that. And thanks for sharing our podcast, everyone uh, involved in that. The other thing I want to say is a big shout out to, uh, well, all our patron supporters. People have been sending us messages in lockdown. It's been helping us get more motivation for doing stuff. Isn't that right, sirs? Yes, it is. Also, um, question to the people who are watching the live stream, because there is a slight delay on this, and I'm not quite sure where the delay is happening, but was Aaron mid-sentence when we came live? You tell us, because I'm not quite sure. <laughs> I thought it worked one way, and then you just talked continuously for like a minute and a half, and I was like, I can't really break in here. <laughs> I, th- I thought you came in the, the green, to say like, you are live. I was like, hey. I did, and then I was like, oh, shit, no. Oh, shit, no. He's in full flow. I can't really go. Because yeah. I'm not sure. It Hold up a sign next time. Hold up a sign. we got to get, it. We gotta get a, a signal going. you got to go, warning, stop talking. <laughs> anyway, we're probably, probably live now anyway. And it's probably just... Yeah. Well, welcome to the live stream, everybody. I gave Aaron a signal because for, for like from when I thought we had gone live so that he could do a proper welcome to the live stream. And then like two minutes later, I was like, oh, wait, <laughs> I don't know if this is live. Anna says yes, which I think is the answer to the question, was Aaron mid-sentence? So, yeah, sorry about that, guys. Um, awesome. Sorry, Anna. Which sorry, sentence? <laughs> God only knows. Welcome to the post story chats we're going to be having. We're going to be talking about Lad of the Skins. Sorry for repeating myself in case you're listening back to this and this isn't glitching. The Lad of the Skins is a mad Fiena story and I guess a big shout out to the Tawn March people who are doing such great work all research resurfacing Irish mythology all around the Ulster cycle of course. And I realised because I sent them a uh, few podcasts that link up with the Tawn but I realised that we've actually done more Fiena podcasts now than Ulster Cycle podcasts, which is kind of funny because we started out just doing Ulster Cycle in the Thon and we were so heavily immersed in the Thon uh, for such a long time. So that's interesting. Yeah, that's interesting. but that's also like, that's that's partly because we were in the Fianna when we started doing the podcast weekly. Whereas before this, we were doing them every other week. And we've also done like, the Thon is the only one that we've released uh, different versions of on the podcast so far. So, like, we've got, you know, our live Shadows of the Tawn recorded show is, is, the, is the very first podcast episode. And then we did the five-part um, Lady Gregory Tawn uh, 
uh, in November to kind of as a sort of an anniversary celebration which involved uh, duvets and all kinds of stuff and you can listen to the outtakes on <laughs> patreon.com forward slash candlelit tales nice, nice nice segue well listen I wanted to say I hope everyone's keeping well I hope you're keeping safe keeping sound and keeping healthy of mind body and spirit and all the rest of it but I do want to shout out a little tear was brought to my eye uh, by I Am Tired and Hungry which is a great name uh, from a woman who listened to all of our podcasts uh, yeah aren't we all um, she listened to all our podcasts in one go just binged them all which is kind of cool but also her ancestors she's an American woman her ancestors were from Cork which is just great of course biased slightly but we were the first people she heard telling Irish stories. And that's amazing. And she said, thank you for continuing to tell stories and for giving me what I feel is the gift of my heritage. Stay safe, stay healthy and keep it candlelit. Look, that's about, well, just brought a tear to my eye and just, well, thank you for reaching out to us. And we hope you're keeping it candlelit um, and staying safe. Yeah. It's really cool. Well, yeah, we've talked about this a little bit. Like it's, it's. I think we talked about it when Oshim was on last week. But it is true. Like it's. I, I've always heard creators say like, "Oh, please comment and share and you know tell us what you feel and give us your feedback." But like, honest to God, being used to live performance where you get immediate audience feedback, and in our shows, people coming up to us in the break and then after the show to tell us their reactions. I really, really like kind of miss that interaction so it's lovely when people like write to us and just tell us what you know came up for them and you know thank you guys who are joining us on the live stream because it's I really enjoy this part of this element of the live stream thing as well where we can actually have a conversation and get comments from you guys and respond to them in almost real time because there's a slight delay <laughs> well look I, I mean uh, it, it goes I mean the, the, fa- the fact that someone said thank you for giving me what I feel is, is my heritage is just like oh man these stories don't belong to us they belong to everybody and the power of storytelling is so inclusive and it brings up those interactions that bit more it brings people into a hard open space whether it's live performance or whether it's after the fact and you're listening to it on a podcast and you're getting a chance to kind of feel that connection and it's a human connection it's the connection and that's the power of stories it's the it's the fact that it brings you into a kind of a yeah a more open mind now speaking of being open-minded mr fiona cool had to be pretty open-minded in the story that you told this week so just in case people didn't listen to the story which is episode all right do you like what i did there right yeah i think I think it's ruined when you call attention to it, though. I don't. I, okay. Well, you ruined my segue. Uh, <laughs> so, we, before we get into The Lad of the Skins, which is a great name for a, a story, and as someone commented, The Lad of the Skins is, that the fellow out in the smoking area, always asking for a skin. Not quite, not quite. So, do you want to give us a quick recap, just pull a point that out for us and, and let, let us know? Refresh our memories, Surika, of the last episode of the podcast. Absolutely. So the last episode of the podcast, uh, it is such a Fiona story. There's a couple of different, like, I feel like in my head, the Fiona stories are slotting into certain different types. Because there's the one that starts when they go out on a hunt and get lost or attacked. And there's the ones where there's, like, a battle 
and they're going to engage with something in a kind of a military way. And then there's like the ones where they see an interesting thing and follow it. And then there's also these ones where people turn up to the Fianna. And I actually think the kind of Dermot and the Daughter of the Country Under Wave story is a little bit like this as well, in that it's like a, a weird or interesting person turns up at the gate of the Fianna and goes, hi, I would like a thing. And then and then the, the story comes from like how they engage with that. And this is an interesting one because it is a it is a lad and his wife who are dressed in animal skins and they turn up and they ask Fionn McCool if he can go into his service and hence under his protection for a year. And Fionn notices how odd they are but says, sure, this is probably going to be interesting. Uh, the lad then proves himself to be unbelievably skilled at hunting and Conan Whale is made suspicious and basically tells Fionn he's obviously not a servant he's obviously some kind of brilliant warrior therefore he means to do us harm so you should kill him or send him away and Fionn is kind of like okay yes to the first part no to the second part because he he's definitely more than he claims to be but that doesn't mean that he means us harm. So Fionn decides to set him a quest, which is also kind of a test, to go and get the Cauldron of Plenty from the King of the Floods. Um, and I love when the, these titles come up in Irish mythology, by the way. There are a lot of them in the Battle of Ventry as well that we'll be getting into shortly. Like the King of the Hills, the King of the Floods, the King of the Marshes. And it's just like, any marsh anywhere, I am king of it, apparently. I don't know. Um, sure. So, the King of the Floods, the Lad of the Skins goes, he manages to steal the cauldron quite easily, because the King of the Floods is like, oh, welcome to my household, here have some food out of my cauldron of plenty. And then he feels guilty for stealing it so easily, and goes back and fights the King of the Floods' army, and wins very easily, brings it back to Fionn McCool, and Fionn is kind of like, cool, alright, we're cool, I trust you now, you can continue to be my servant, Obviously, you have some other motivation for doing this, but you are trustworthy enough to have brought this back to me, so we're cool. I'm not going to pry. And then Fionn uh, later hears a voice coming up out of a well that says the King of the Floods knows that you have his cauldron and you either have to battle him or give it back. So he asks the lad of the, of the skins for help in the battle. The lad of the skins says you have to ask my wife and then gives Fionn's, Fionn the kind of key to getting his wife to say yes to anything, which is to wait until she's combing her hair at night. And uh, then she'll have no power to refuse any request made of her. So Fionn asks her at that moment, oh yeah, and that is also the point where the lad of the skins is like, she's the daughter of Manon McLear. And Fionn is like, the f- What? <laughs> okay. Obviously, definitely a lot more than meets the eye be to the two of you. Um, he makes the request she gives him permission to uh, take the lad of the skins to fight the king of the floods but tells him to bring him back alive or dead and if he's alive to fly a grey green flag and if he's dead to fly a red one they go they win the battle against the king of the floods but on the way back meet a mysterious other person who fights a duel with the Lad of the Skins and kills him. 
uh, they kill each other. They shapeshift into all kinds of different things and then end up killing each other. And Fionn picks up the, the bird that is the kind of final form of the lad of the skins. Um, you're, you're clinking there a bit, are. <laughs> Sorry. Eating your green yeah. slime. Um, picks up the bird, the dead bird, sails back, flies the red flag, and unlike whenever I've seen this come up in Greek mythology, she doesn't throw herself off a cliff when they come back with her dead husband. She takes her dead husband down to the shore and sails off in search of magic to bring him back to life, which she eventually finds. And then they come back to the doors of uh, Al Moon for like a party. And then they leave forever. And it's just like... Mental. It's mad. It's bonkers. Like, I love the fact that like, that even like trying to summarize it, you get confused because it, it, it is, there's just a series of like, hang on, what happened? This happened? You have to kind of go through the base of it. Whereas, like, sometimes you can just really rattle off. It's about this. Because this was one one of those, and we were looking for other Fina stories to give this kind of weekly podcast a, a nice, it's kind of a seasonal feel and really get into the Fina. And as we've been doing it, especially the talking and, and dissecting these stories, especially the fact that we're going through so much detail with uh, the Battle of Entry now as well, that we've found out, I don't know, pull apart more of Fionn's character for sure but then this story just just landed and I remember reading I, I, I skimmed it because I was skimming through a lot of, of Lady Gregory's stuff and it was just the shape-shifting I was like alright screw it there's shape-shifting it's probably cool I'm not quite sure let's 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 put it on the list and then as we went through it for, for more and more I, we found out basically and you know it's a, tr- it's a love story it's a bona fide true 100% it's a love story with a happy ever after but you can't know that when Lady Gregory writes it because it's not full of love and you know I, I, I gotta say Oshin didn't exactly play a romantic uh, rom-com type feel to the backing of this one hilarious um, but essentially the nuts and bolts of this story are a love story so this is the this is the interesting thing because this is kind of like uh, I also found it a very very confusing story when I read it first because I was because I remember re- I had read it previously and thought like this is a story that doesn't really make any sense and then when I reread it you were like no 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 it makes sense it makes sense it's just a weird one and when I kind of started digging into it I was like oh yeah no it is a weird one because it's a story about the two of them told from the perspective of Fionn McCool who doesn't know what the fuck is going on or who they are and Classic. and that's why it's 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 a kind of a strange one because and I kind of de- I had a little bit of a debate with how to tell it because you could tell this as a a straight romantic story you absolutely could I didn't oh I, I'm planning on doing it as soon as we go live as soon as we're back in live this is, this is my number one love story um, I'm aware uh, and like, I know because it works like that, because if you tell it from their perspective, they fall in love, a terribly dangerous rival threatens to kill the man that she loves. And so she goes, oh, let's go hide out with the Fianna. But he can't but reveal himself as the incredibly powerful person of the other world. Son of the King of the Hills is actually who he really is. Um and kind of gets gets busted by Fionn and the Fianna. Luckily for them, Fionn's pretty cool. So after Fionn, by his own slightly weird internal, like, 
way of testing people. Uh, like he sets him a test, and then when he when he when the lot of the skins completes it, he's like, "Yeah, okay, you guys are cool. You can stay if you want. I'm not going to ask any more questions." Um, like allows them to stay. He's then meets the rival, and they kill each other, and then she gets to go and bring him back to life. And they come back to Fionn to collect their wages and tie up loose ends. And then they sail off into the sunset to presumably have adventures and or live happily ever after. It's perfect. It's so it's so lovely because, again, from from their perspective, they're on the run and they're they're terrified. But they have each other and she basically tells him what to do. He's completely gormless in this. He's hilarious. He, he doesn't seem initially in, in first reading, you kind of go, Oh, he's suspicious. I don't even like the look of him, not the sound of it. And then as you kind of go through it, he's just like he wants to hunt in the the bogs, the lowlands, the waterways, you know, basically, because he's one of the one of the fae, one of the two of they, one of the pe- people of magic folk that are in the waterways and the wilds, you know, and like he's just he's not really able to hold it together in our company of normal mortal men. He's like, okay, gotta not be magic, gotta not be magic, gotta, ah, I'm just gonna kill all the, is this an okay amount of dead things? <laughs> oh, too many? Oh, yeah, give it away. So he goes off and, and hunts and <laughs> kills too many, yeah. What? Cross-talking. Uh, yeah, he's trying to disguise his his kind of prowess as a as a member of the Tua de Danon and he fails. Um, like he's really bad at it, and I think the other thing that really struck both of us as well when we when we when we drew that line and made that connection to kind of you know that he's just a bit innocent. Um, it kind of made so much more sense of him being like, "Oh, I stole the cauldron. Oh, I feel bad. Oh, he should have the opportunity to fight me for it." That feels more honest. So I'm going to go back and have a fight. <laughs> yeah, I love it. I love it. Um, and yeah, I I just I love that whole idea that um, he's basically also kind of told what to do by his by his wife or the daughter of Manon McLear. You know, she's basically he, he goes, I can't really do anything without her permission. That's kind of how I live my life. Otherwise, I'd probably be dead because I'm really gormless. <laughs> I'm like, you know, she tells me what to do. He's a big, like, I kind of picture him as being like a big dumb idiot. Like, he's he's big and sweet and not very bright. And his wife is apparently very magical and very bright and is like, this is what we are going to do. So as so not it, to die. So we'll, get to the end, we'll get to the end, which is a beautiful, happy ever after moment, kind of. Like, at least the, the fact that she brings him back to life. Get to that a bit, but... In terms of the, the the suspicion element, because it's painted from the Fiona's perspective, and the voice that is used in this story to to show the suspicion and demand I- inquiry is Conan Whale. And there's been a line before of like Conan does never has a good word when a bad word can replace it. Like he'll always come up with something negative to say, basically. And so he's the one who raises the suspicion and demands of Fionn to, to look a bit closer at this servant who's clearly not a servant. Is there something about Conan's personality that's like that kind of makes him the perfect guy to bring this up? 
Oh yeah, I mean Conan's personality is just he's he's a contrarian. Like he's he's a really interesting character because I think, you know, you can he is sometimes almost an antagonist to Fionn, but then at the same time he's also the first into battle. Like he's he might be an asshole, but he's their asshole. Do you know what I mean? Like he's kind of um and I, I think that's his place in the Fianna is that like they kind of they know him and they accept his incredible prickliness just for who he is because they value him so much as a warrior. And I think this is a really interesting one because his instinct is correct. Um his instinct that like this is not a servant is actually like it's a good one. He's right. Uh but where he diverges with a character like Fionn is that Conan immediately jumps to the worst possible conclusion. And the worst possible conclusion in this case is like, this guy has come here undercover as a servant to kill us all. Whereas Fionn is like, this guy has come on, to come to us undercover as a servant, yes, but actually that's all that we know about him. We don't know why he did that. So let's not react as if we, as if we absolutely know his motivations are bad. You know? Yeah, and I, I guess there's an interesting thing about like Fionn's gut instinct here and Conan's, you know, th th that um, contrast then shows we, we get to see an insight into Fionn's leadership quality here and what he does and the power of being a good leader. And um, I don't know if anyone has been watching or has watched the Michael Jordan documentary. Um, the Last Dance uh, I have and something about Michael Jordan in being a ferocious determined hugely focused individual kind of put me in the mind of Fionn McCool who was always looking for the best out of the people around him also hugely kind of like kind of mean he wasn't called a nice guy you know and Fionn doesn't do a nice thing here you know, he does something slightly removed, slightly detached from empathy, slightly kind of cold, you might argue, and goes, all right, you're not a servant. You're more than that. So I can't necessarily trust you now. And so he places a test on him. And that for me, I, I, it felt very cold initially. Going to go off and get this thing is, you know, you could die. But if you don't, then what? And I think it is, like, it, it. Fionn is a very interesting character because he's, like, he's both very wise and very intelligent. And, like, he's not perfect in this, which you kind of see in the Dermot and Gronia thing that, like, and I think that's kind of the only example of Fionn actually losing control of himself is in the Dermot and Gronia uh, pursuit. He normally is very, very, very self-controlled and... um very able to kind of make decisions for the good of the of the Fianna as a whole rather than for the good of an individual person. It actually kind of, like, it reminds me of, you know, my main experience in kind of a leadership role is, like, if you're directing a show or you're directing a play, you are looking at what is the thing that will make this the best show, not what is the nicest thing to do to make everybody happy. And so you have to have a little bit of a step back because somebody might come up with like a brilliant idea uh, that they really like. That's a really good idea for them. But if it doesn't fit in with the show, you've kind of got to be like, no, we're not doing that. Sure. And, and it's the exact same of, as for team sports, you know, like you know, there might be a brilliant one single player and you have to be able to go, OK, hang on. 
you're not working as a team. I have to maybe maybe we'll bring you on as a sub. Maybe we'll use you ta- tactfully. Maybe we won't start you because you're not a team player. And you have to make those co- harder decisions that can seem very distant. And oh, how could you? This person, you know, wants to do all this stuff. Um, it can so, feel it can so, feel unfair yeah. and it can feel mean. But I think that's the interesting thing about about a character like Fionn is that like in order to be as brilliant a leader as he is, you've got to be an asshole sometimes, or you've got to be prepared to be perceived as an asshole, because you're acting with the greater good in mind. Um, what do I think, guys? Who are who are listening? Is Fionn an ass, or is he nice? Um, is he a nice guy? I, sorry. I would argue that that is an irrelevant question. Like. <laughs> because the yeah. point the yeah. point like I, I often say this in the context of like myself taking on leadership roles you have to be prepared to be a bitch sometimes because like that's that's the only way that you'll ever get anything done you can't make decisions from a perspective of like oh will people like me because yeah. some people won't a man like and leaders in general whether we, we say the word politics or not tend not to be the most liked individuals you know they get a lot of stick because it's not and you're not going to make people happy as bob marley says you can't keep all the people happy all the time um so you're going to you're going to piss people off and he's well able to understand that and and do that it's, it's an amazing part of Fionn's character that that he's able to do this but my, my my issue with the task he sets or my question really with the task he sets to a lot of the skins is what's okay so what explain what he's doing here Exactly, with the, with sending him off to get the cauldron. This is my interpretation of what he's doing, um, because again, as with as with most mythologies um, and stories told in the mythological tradition, you don't you don't. The traditional way of telling it is to just describe the action, not the motivation behind the action, and it's kind of more of a modern bias that we want to know the psychology and we want to explain it a little bit more. Um, for me, this is a this is a this is a very strategic decision because he's he's achieving a number of goals with one action. Um, he picks a treasure that will be very very beneficial to him if he gets it, but if he doesn't get it, it's no loss. Right? He's not sending the lot of the skins to go and get something that he absolutely needs. And that's like crucial to a larger plan. No, he's just going like, here's a here's a really cool thing. Um, see if you can get it. And if the lad of the skins, like, it's kind of it is a, it is quite a detached decision that he's making because he's kind of going like, okay, like, think think it through from all possible outcomes. Uh, the lad of the skins loses and uh, dies in the attempt. No loss to Fionn. Really. He's lost a servant. Um, the lad of the skins succeeds and then decides to steal the cauldron. Again, no loss to Fionn because he doesn't need the cauldron of plenty. It's just a nice thing to have. The lad of the skins succeeds and brings the cauldron back. Well, now he has revealed himself as a brilliant warrior and or strategist. But he has also demonstrated an extraordinary loyalty because this is a cauldron of plenty. This is an like this is like the 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 coin person folklore that always has a coin in it. This is like a a, a resource without end. 
So anyone who has this is suddenly the richest person in the world. And to actually go and get it and bring it back, he's demonstrated his ability and he's also demonstrated his loyalty. Great, because if he went off and won it, he could just keep it himself and then you're like, all right, well, you're clearly not going to be my servant, dude. Thanks very much. Goodbye. Um, yeah, no, it's, 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 a, it's an ingenious attempt to, to figure out who, who he is, what his ability is and what his motivations are. So, so. And, and the only negative consequence to it is the one that happens, which is that the King of the Floods eventually works out like a year later that Fionn McCool is the one who, who took it. Or Fionn McCool is the one who has it. I, I love how like that's just glossed over, but that that occurred to me as well. It's like, so what was happening? Like a year goes by and they just like rumor has it that Fionn's having a lot of mad big parties with the with his cauldron that never runs empty, and that just like trickles out and trickles out until everyone's like, what? That's where it is, you know. And again, like strategically, this is this is Fionn's Fionn's genius is that like the the king of the floods presumably Fionn knows something about the king of the floods because the king of the floods doesn't like turn up on his doorstep with an army going, give me back my cauldron. The King of the Flood sends him a message out of a well that is like, rumour has it that you have my cauldron. I know you've got it. So either return it or fight me for it. And Fionn's first move is to go to the Lad of the Skins and say, will you come with me? But like, presumably if the Lad of the Skins said no, Fionn would be able to go, okay, here's it back. No harm, no foul. But there's a big theme in this, like, there's a couple of themes that jump out in this. Intuition is is a big one, but also fairness. And fairness seems to be, like, it comes up a couple of times, like, this isn't fair. The lot of the skin's going, me going off and stealing this thing, that's not fair. I should turn back and fight a bit for it. But you're the king of, the, like, he doesn't know what's going on either, and there's just a big army, and he fights your man. He's run, all he said, he runs through them, runs around them, and, and kills loads of people, and comes back and has, and gives the cauldron back and then it's a case of like no come on Fionn you know what's fair you didn't fight for it you can only have it if we do the fair thing which is fight for it and so there's an honour and duty to be kind of level about this and this seems to be kind of maybe something in there it's it's a really funny one and we'll see this in the in the Battle of Ventry story as well that like fair play is not not a thing that these these like this particular warrior code and you see it in the Ulster cycle a bit as well this particular warrior code is not built on an idea of fair play um like if somebody stabs you in the back more fool you for showing them your back like that's the kind of code of the fianna in some ways like this is the kind of concept we have of like honor and duty and fair play is a very like it, it's a very different one to the one that they're operating under and like if you win by trickery you win and the lad of the skins is actually like it's it's kind of a feature of some of the very 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 skilled warriors will care about this so like Cucullin, uh runs away from Fergus at the ford because it's not going to be a fair fight Kuroi Makdara finds a wounded Kukulin during the taun and says, I'm not going to kill him, even though it would give me glory, because it wouldn't be a fair fight. Um, Kukulin has no such qualms about when he kills Kuroi Makdara, by the way, because Kuroi Makdara is tied to a bed and completely immobilised and helpless. And Kukulin just knifes him. 
Um, and like this happens a lot. And to be to be fair, Ku Cullen like has essentially a gun when everyone else has knives when he has the magical spear of the gay bulga and so like whatever brilliance he has was always backed by this cheat it was like having the cheat for the the, ga- the game console you're like ah I can just put in this thing and uh, I win and it's fine because winning is, is more important than being, having been beaten I guess Sorry. yeah like winning you get the glory of the win no matter how you get it and like these these warriors are kind of aware that it's a better story if I get it fairly, but that's not necessary. And actually, winning by guile means that you were cleverer, so you're still winning, and you're still yeah, defeating yeah. your opponent. I mean, there's there's a number of like <laughs> I just think you have a number of hurlers that are like I'm kind of thinking of in terms of like you know a win's a win, and you get by you know get as long as the ref doesn't see you. You know, and like you got managers who they say, as long as the ref doesn't see you, you know, the old hurley in, in the ribs, you're like, ah, geez, what? No, don't. That's not fair. But then there's a level of sportsmanship which is like above the rules, you know, slightly. It's kind of like, and there's that, and it, it's kind of, it's a very personal like, uh, relationship that you have with this. And everyone has their own kind of set of rules. But it's interesting that Fionn's fairness doesn't really come up with it he's like go off and steal that thing for me it's the lad of skins who says this isn't fair this isn't right and he he comes back going okay I got this fairly and then Fionn goes back to him again going eh, I kind of need your help because your man called me up on uh, on a technicality it's, it wasn't fair that I stole it off him I don't want to give it back to him like Fionn again comes across in this bit of the story is not very honourable at, at all again different conception of honour the honour code of the Fianna is strength of limb, purity of heart, actions to match our words. He doesn't break his own honour code. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And like, also, in that battle where he's called to fight the King of the Floods, he and the Lad of the Skins go. He doesn't put the rest of the Fianna at risk. He goes with the Lad. And the two of them are unstoppable. And like that's and again, that's a kind of yeah. an interesting one for Fionn because it's like he's you know as much as he's a leader he's a leader from the front uh, a lot of the time not always um, but like yeah it's it's a it's an interesting well by example I think by example you know he leads by example maybe like in, in a lot of the battle stories that we see um, or here he's kind of in the battle of entry he's for example uh, leading from giving orders and and and, and directing the army whereas in this and most other times he's leading by example and he's showing what should be done and he's giving advice because this is what it is he expects and he has lived through and so he kind of he, he gives people that kind of a moral code do as i do um and as i say uh, I, I suppose now when he goes to the king of the floods i have a question um when he when he's off with as you said the lad of the skins is the son of the king of the hills am I right here yeah that's what he is that's the only other name that he's given and I think it's interesting that like I think this often happens with two Dedanan characters that they don't really get a name they get a title so like it's the the son of the king of the hills is married to the daughter of Mananon Maglir neither of them are given their own name <laughs> um, they're 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 they they get their title. 
but sure, if, like Fionn, Fionn, um, we were talking about the kind of the epithets or like the, the descriptions and how they're sig- signified that someone is who they are. Like Fionn is the blonde son of cool. That's his name, <laughs> you know. Um, and that's I think that's a really interesting point as well because like if you think about the Irish naming system, it's Mac and it's O. So it's it is the son of or of the clan of uh, your most famous relative. <laughs> yeah, 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 yeah. <laughs> and and then you often have it, like their name is a descriptor. Their name is a nickname. Gull McMorna, Gull the the one eyed of the McMorna or son of Morna. Um, you know. <laughs> And you see it in Irish nicknaming, like you see it today where you'll get, you know, we often have uh, several people named Patrick in the same area and there'll be Big Paddy and Small Paddy and Long Paddy and Short Paddy. Like, you know, it's it's kind of like you'll get that kind of thing coming up. But yeah, Gull is, so you have of the McMornas, you have One-Eyed of Clan Morna and you have Bald Conan of Clan Morna. Because that's what Moyle means. So a lot of these, like, a lot of the, the names that they have are actually descriptions. It's just because they're in a different language, we, we tend to read them as names. Mm-hmm. Um, and and that's kind of where know, naming systems are, are more, it sounds nicer in Irish. And then you actually translate it, you're like, oh, that's what that means. All right. Uh, okay, cool. Um, it's not as magical at all, is it? Um, <laughs> Kirkig is a great example. Ah, oh, uh, you know, uh, it's us Kirkig May, and I'm from Kirkork, yeah. I'm from the Marsh. Like, great. <laughs> We're from Cork, which is the Marsh. You know, beautiful names like um, Moyala, Mallow, which is the Plain of Swans. Which is yeah. in the Marsh. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. yeah, 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 yeah. Let's not get too into the names thing. Um, I have a question about the Cauldron of Plenty, and this is something Oshin brought up when he was asking about it. The Cauldron of Plenty, which never runs empty, this comes up again and again and again, and it was part of the two of the Danon kind of thing. And I thought, it, well, again, we've we were talking about who, where did this come from? Where did this come from? Um, wanna... I didn't realize you'd finished talking. I thought you were on a on a flow there. Uh, yeah, the Cauldron of Plenty. So this is one of those things that I think um, gets a little difficult because there's two ways of looking at mythology and myth systems and stuff. And I think if you have the mind of like someone who likes to, to archive and categorize and follow timelines and follow threads, um, which I think Ushin definitely does, you, you kind of are going like, okay, but what, how did this go from, because where did this come from? Because the Dagda has it at one point. Is the King of the Floods the Dagda? Or did he get it off Mananon MacLear, who gives away his treasures and then they come back to him? Is the King of the Floods Mananon MacLear? Because that sounds like it would fit. But if the King of the Floods is Mananon MacLear, uh, why is his daughter, why is his son-in-law stealing from him? And why doesn't he recognize him? So, like, there's a really weird thing when you're working from uh, an oral tradition that's quite disparate and was written down very, very late by, like, not people um, who were from the same tradition. 
it gets real difficult to kind of figure those connections out. And sometimes I think they are not figurable out. So I tend to kind of hand wave a lot of this stuff, which is not always the best approach either. And Oshin wants to kind of like go, but no, hang on, where did this come from? Which is like, I, I am, I don't think either approach is the wrong approach, by the way. I'm, and I'm not trying to like Shit. say that it's, it's an incorrect approach. It's just kind of interesting to go, yeah, what is the cauldron of plenty? Where did it come from? Why is it suddenly cropping up here? Because it's definitely one of the treasures of the Tua de Danon in the Book of Invasions. And it is possessed by the Dagda for a lot of time. But then the Dagda also has a death story. So has it gone back to Mananon Maglir at this point? Maybe. Is this Mananon Maglir in this story? And his daughter eloped with a guy and he doesn't know who the guy is? Also, maybe. <laughs> like, that's a, that's a very definite possibility. And that's, I think... You know, when you're telling this story as a love story between the two of them, I think that would be a really interesting thing to make a decision on. Like, is he actually stealing from his father-in-law? And, like, are they going to have to go and deal with this at some point? Be awkward. That'd be weird at Christmas. Uh, they won't have Christmas. Um, <laughs> the Salsa's celebrations will be tricky. Um, now, it is a happy ever after. This story is a happy ever after. Way to segue into my next point because what's beautiful about this story and why I think regardless of the details of the of the cauldron or the little fishy bits of the timey-wimey stuff, what you have in this story is you have a belief in an ending or some form of bringing back to life. Like this daughter of... The man on McLear gets a dead husband in the shape of a bird and just sets sail. And she doesn't know what she's doing. And she has she's heartbroken and she's in search for something. And she doesn't know what she's in search for, but she's hoping. And this represents for me the fact that even the magic folk, even the fae, even the Tudidanin, who are so magical and can ride on waves, they don't know where magic is. They're unsure of it. They're 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 looking for it. They're kind of, you know, as we all kind of are. And that that was a really beautiful moment in this story. It's like, oh, even even a magic person doesn't know where the magic is. But she follows, again, her intuition. Do you want to jump in on that? Yeah, I think because I think this is something that's really interesting about mythology, uh, or sorry, magic in Irish mythology. And we've talked about this before as well, that like magic doesn't belong to the Tua de Danon. It's not like there's a race of wizards who get to come in and like Gandalf up the place and then fuck off again under the hill. Like, that's not how it works. Mortals can do magic. Like, the line between who is um, one of the magic people and who is one of the normal people is so blurry that it's like, it's not even a line in Irish myth. Um, whereas in other mythologies, you have people who are like, they are like I'm thinking of Norse mythology, which has an incredibly like worked out system of like where on the tree of life, which world on the tree of life are you from? And that, that defines, are you a good guy or a bad guy? Are you a frost giant or an Aesir or a Vanir? And like, they're all very, uh, it's very well explained where magic kind of comes from and who has it and who doesn't have it and what people are able to do with it. And like, was your hammer made by made magical by the people who made it? And all of this kind of stuff is like pretty kind of consistent internally. 
And then you have Irish mythology, where the two of the are people of the other world and definitely have magic at their command or certain kinds of things at their command. And all of them seem to be able to shapeshift at will. But like, so can Fintan McBokra, who's just a dude from Africa who came to Ireland with his wife and 50 women. And he lands in Ireland and he becomes a shapeshifter way before the two of the turn up. And then you have Amergan, the Song of Amergan, Amergan of the Sons of Mill, when sailing to Ireland, sings a song to calm the waves. Uh, we are reconnecting. Two seconds. There is a... The internet went funny. Oh, dear. And I'm getting a sorry, we're having trouble with playing this video, so let's... Let's hang tight for a second and see if it'll come back. Sure, sure, sure. Hopefully. We may have to stop it and start it again. It seems to be playing okay. I'm on okay. my end, but I know there's a little time lag. Just tell me when it goes on your end, so. No, it's still there. I can no, see you putting up your finger going, two seconds. <laughs> oh, okay. Well, in that case, if it's still going, we'll still go. It's just not playing back to me on my on my laptop. Tell me if it cuts out on your one. Um, 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 so, actually, this is a good point to a um, couple of comments. I was going, hey, nice one. So, uh, Charles McCoy says, um, might be the perspective the person getting to ask might think damn what an asshole while the others might think ah so nice to give him a chance and that's kind of what we were talking about but being a good leader is having those those decisions and those tough calls to make and and people will always be splitting those opinions and Antoinette O'Sullivan has a very good uh, comment here just on the subject of names but off topic in general if you haven't seen John Creedon's Atlas of Ireland you should check it out very interesting I have seen it and I've meant to buy it and I think I will buy it after this because that's a very good thing to get and have thank you very much Antonella O'Sullivan uh, Pamela Hulk how, how do you pronounce that there Sarah Green? Pamela Holcomb that was an interesting part of the story it was a good ending for her to get him back Good morning from North Carolina, loving the discussion. Good morning, North Carolina. Uh, lovely. And uh, on that happy ever after moment, I, I love the fact that she, yes, she doesn't know where magic is coming from. And of course, there's this whole, like, what's going on? And, and I love how you explain that. Uh, but she follows these three birds, two birds that are carrying a dead bird off to a magical island and goes, hmm, I'm going to follow them. And lo and behold, three birds fly out from the island and she realises, right, they, there's something there. And she goes with her dead husband, who's now a bird, and just kind of hopes. And then this beautiful resurrection happens. And, yeah, that's that That was just my... Ah, oh, it is a love story with a happy ever after mending. Yay! Except now they have to go and visit her dad and say, by the way, I stole your, like, one of your most precious things. I don't think it's Man on my clear. I think King of the Floods is a King of the Floods. Um, I don't think it's Man on my clear. I'm I'm not going with that interpretation. Sorry, no. <laughs> but I, I mean, do... ultimately, ultimately, Oshin is correct on that point that the Cauldron of Plenty is one of Man on my clear's things. I'm pretty sure. Um, but sure. then there's a whole lot of like Grail, uh, Holy Grail stuff. And like the symbology of the Cauldron of Plenty and the Holy Grail get very kind of mixed together. So you get those kind of legends like the Arthurian legends that are very like much a mishmash of Celtic and Christian uh, mythologies where you get some really interesting stuff around grails and cauldrons and like 
interesting mm. intersections in terms of what they mean and what they are. Well, speaking of intersections, you have a super big intersection here by from a, a Greek perspective with the black sails. Um, and that kind of the use of the signal, the signaling death with the sails is like, that's come comes up with a lot of Greek myths, doesn't it? It definitely comes up in, I think, the Perseus myth. And now my Greek mythology is fuzzy. It was definitely the first mythology that I fell in love with um, because I, I kind of came across it before I came across a lot of Irish mythology. Um, there's definitely a bit, and I think the Perseus story where they, they come back and he wraps the head of the monster. I think it's the, the Gorgon. Minotaur. Gorgon. Minotaur? Minotaur? I think yeah. it, I think it yeah. happens in the Minotaur myth where he like wraps the Minotaur's head in the white sail. Yeah. So they're yeah. still flying the black sail, and his beloved sees the black sail and assumes he's dead and throws herself off the cliff. And there's a father who throws himself off a cliff as well. And it could I could be mixing this up. Um, and I think it happens in more than one story, but I'm not entirely Theseus, sure. Theseus, definitely. Yeah. That's it, um, Theseus. Um, Theseus and the Minotaur you're right um, and then there's like I think that's interesting in this one because when I read that about the obviously it's Irish myth so they don't go black and white they go green and red which I love <laughs> because white is not like you don't have that same symbology where white is good and black is evil and, and I like I like that um, but imagine looking but, like, at the green red going green, crap which one is it green red uh, red is de- uh, blood colour green is which one do- it's pretty clear, man. Red for blood, green for life. Yeah, yeah. Like that's real clear. Um. So yeah, they and and I was kind of expecting her to jump off a cliff when I first read this, because that's how that trope goes in my head. But she doesn't. She goes, "Cool, thanks. I'm gonna take my dead bird husband and go bring him back to life." And she does. And I think like yeah, I love I love that thing like it is a thing of like magic is something that you explore and interact with, not something that has like a list of rules that you learn off and then apply. Um yeah, yeah, yeah. it's it's a it's an interaction with a kind of a living world. And it's it's very based on your intuition and on like I think it's it's very kind of uh, th- this concept comes up for me over and over again in Irish mythology that like the land comes first and like it's like the magic comes out of the land and this is a this is an island of magic and the magic comes up through this particular tree or shrub with the green leaves um, and it's a gift um, I, I love the these I guess we, we mentioned the, the fact that the gesh is used as a, a bit of a trope to make to make something happen in a story where it wouldn't necessarily happen, and in this story we we're, we're hit we basically come to a stop point where we've reached the end of the the contract between Lad of the Skins and Fionn, and yet there's this random gesh that the daughter of Manon McLear has to and I just love this the randomness of it she has to say yes to any request that anyone asks of her while she's brushing her hair and the trust for the lad of skins then to tell that to Fionn like it's bizarre but brilliant but bizarre but brilliant <laughs> can you try and explain that as as a thing or comment on it uh, I'm just going to clarify for Anna who asks what does the green and the grey flag signify um, when Fionn and the lad of the skins like in this story when Fionn and the lad of the skins go to get the uh, 
give battle to the king of the floods for the cauldron of plenty she asks Fionn to bring her husband back dead or alive and to fly a green flag if they're coming back alive and a red flag if they're coming back dead and I think yeah for me the symbology is is pretty kind of you know green, green equals life red equals blood um, pretty Dude, clear we're, but we're like using that's, him for gold stop still I it, let me know if that answers your question um but yeah um but you asked me a different question Aaron and I just forgot what it was now the gesh about the woman brushing her hair I explain um I don't know if I can explain it's a gesh it's 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 a it's the deus ex machina of Irish mythology I want somebody to do something that they would never agree to do but I, it's like I okay actually that's not true uh because it is an interesting interlude because it shows you a couple of things about this couple and the first thing it shows you is that she is the person who makes the decisions. Um, which I think is kind of a little bit glossed over in, in the Lady Gregory version that I that I read this in. Because really the wife isn't mentioned uh, much. Except that she's there at the beginning. And then she's not really mentioned until this point. Um, but yeah, she, she has a guess on her that if somebody asks her for something while she's combing her hair at night she has no power to refuse them and it's a really interesting gesh because it's so conditional that like you could say well this poor woman is doomed that any man who kind of knows this about her can get her to do whatever he wants but because we have this lot of the skins who's so kind of guileless and gormless he doesn't seem to it doesn't seem to occur to him to take advantage of it and I don't know if it occurs to him that Fionn might uh, Fionn wouldn't because he is honourable in that sense um, but like you know if you're that woman you can just not comb your hair <laughs> for a bit <laughs> like you know it's 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 a weird one because there's this kind of there's this but, but it's an, that's why I think it's a really interesting guess because there's a sort of a mutuality of or like she's extending trust to certainly to the lad of the skins she presumably doesn't know that he's told Fionn McCool um, but there's a there's a trust element here where she's like okay I'm now going to start combing my hair at night in front of you knowing that you know that anything you ask me at this moment um, I have no power to refuse but like it also doesn't mean that she doesn't have agency after that like, if you think about this as a guess and how this plays out in real life, I think it gets real interesting. Because if he asks her to do something that he knows she doesn't want to do, he still has to live with her the next day. Well, it's in his story, what strikes me is the fact that he knows that she won't let him go because it's a, it's a really, uh, you know, he might die. He might get caught by his enemy, which essentially he does. And he gets killed. And she, and that's the whole thing. They're in hiding in this whole story. That's where they went to film the Fina because they're hiding from this enemy of, of theirs and they can't they, they can't get away from him. And she would be afraid that he, he'd get caught, which he does. So he essentially kind of breaks her trust in a way by going I know a way around this if you demand if you ask her when it's basically like demanding but when she can't say no and she can't and she says all right because you've asked me at this time I'll let you off I'll let you go with the lot of the skins and, and they go off and get the cotton so yeah it, it's, a, it's a weird kind of breaking trust there but he also gets Fionn to do the asking 
He could also ask her, can I go with Fionn? But he doesn't. <laughs> he puts it on Fionn to do the asking. Which I also think is an interesting little bit of like marital politics here. Where he's like, well, if I ask her, she's going to be real fucking pissed at me. But if you ask her, she'll have no power to refuse you. I'll still get to do what I want. But like, you'll be to blame. <laughs> I think, you know, a lot of husbands should take note here. Uh, you know, get somebody else to do the dirty work. <laughs> um, don't piss your wife off, basically. So don't piss your wife off. Um, that's that's kind of a good note to end on, I think. This was great. Um, and this is a lovely story. We're going to be cracking into doing a lot of work on the Battle of Entry. We're doing our homework. We're doing a lot of work. And I think, in fairness, you can even already see the the standard and the, and the way of Oshin, that Oshin's been putting music to stuff. And I think he learned great and valuable lesson of just like putting in pauses and that's something we do in live shows a lot is we'll play with pauses which we haven't really played with before and we definitely saw in this story compared to last week's or, or uh, the story I did which was needed a couple of pauses and we after talking about it found, found that out and we're playing with a bit more Foley work that Rue O'Shea uh, is working on as well and getting a uh, he's playing around with like some mental sounds here. It's great for the Battle of Entry. So that's all going to be coming to you soon enough. But not before. Sneaky debut of what I really want to call Candle Little Tales. Right. Yes. I mean, I agree. Essentially, Candle Little Tales would be great because we're doing a series of stories on YouTube for for kids because every now and again we accidentally swear every now and again we talk about blood and gore and violence and sex and all of the things you're not really supposed to talk to kids about I don't know anyway you know we're just uh, storytelling Irish myths are for adults and then storytelling is just supposed to be apparently for kids but you know to go along with generic and normal guidelines like Apple and which we're now on uh, for our podcast and YouTube we you know want to make something specifically for kids and as a performer I started off acting specifically for family shows I love it I love getting a group of kids involved in myths and stories and now with lockdown when living with Rue O'Shea and the artist Gareth Curtis which we are very lucky to be uh, getting a few animations from um, our pictures drawn and we were just doing the intros and outros and figured out that a great way to make sure you listen to the end of the video is to find out today's mythical fun fact how great is that? every episode has a mythical fun fact and they're tailored for kids they're uh, nice and short so I think big kids will enjoy them as well but they're our favourite stories basically and they're stories that we've performed a lot with kids and just have a great reaction with and so we're playing with a lot of foley and a lot of other sounds and a lot of choruses and songs with them so it's been a lot of fun and that'll be released next week yes that will be uh we will be debuting candle little tales or whatever we actually officially call it i think it'll be candle little tales for kids. kids yeah I know. Hash, I just hashtag candle little tales. Hashtag candle little tales. <laughs> yeah, hashtag candle little tales. Um, but yeah, we'll be the 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 debut of that podcast will go out uh, next week, and then there is going to be a separate channel to hear the rest of them on. It'll be a separate YouTube channel. It'll be a separate podcast channel. Well, so hold up, hold up. Oshin, Oshin and I investigated this. 
actually it'll be a separate playlist that's specifically friendly for kids it'll be on youtube so it won't actually be a whole new channel it'll, it'll it will be a new thing on um soundcloud and stuff but it will be a new patreon page so yes that is what i was trying to say uh so Sorry. we that will also all you will be directed to all of those things when it goes up so don't worry about where you have to find it and what you have to subscribe to we will let you know all of that uh, but it will be um, it'll be going up as a separate podcast and it will be going up on YouTube there will be animations going up on YouTube you will, we will we will tell you where to find all of the stuff um, and it'll be really uh, cool and exciting and it'll also give us like an opportunity to uh, be searchable on Patreon because we are currently because we're producing content for like grown-ups and not children uh, if you go to Patreon and put candlelit tales into the search bar uh you will not find us because we're over 18s but this will give us a separate like page um but if you do want to support the podcast and if you want to support us and if you want to help us like keep making content and stuff damn it i don't know now someone said i'm looking forward to uh, candle little tales maybe we should call it candle little tales it's really good <laughs> i'm telling you man it's a good name Get your votes in. Let us know. What, what do you think? Candlelit Tales for Kids, hashtag Candlelit Tales, or Candlelit Tales. We're really bad at naming stuff, so we need help. Um, no, this know, is the best name I've tales. ever thought of. I'm, I, I hate naming stuff, but this is my best name ever. But if you want to support what we're doing with that, or what we're doing with this, or any of the stuff that we are doing, you just know that all of this stuff is going into the same like pool. Whether you become a, a, a supporter of Candlelit Tales or Candlelit Tales or both. It's all coming back to us. It's the same us behind it. Uh, and if you want to support us now, you can go to patreon.com forward slash Candlelit Tales. But you do need to like type that into your browser in order to get to it. Uh, or follow one of the many links that we share. Um, and thank you guys for tuning in. And thank you everybody who commented. And thank you everybody who asked us questions. And thank you, everybody who's listening and sharing. And thank you, everybody who is not watching this live, but has come to it later. Um, yeah, that's that's us. Thanks so much, guys. Tune in next time. And until then, keep it candlelit. You! <laughs> I think it's going to be Candlelittle Tales, Aaron. Quiet, you. <laughs> Bye for now, guys. <laughs>